Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Peacock Streaming, the biggest live events from Super Bowl 56 to complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. It's all the unbelievable sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Good morning and welcome to another edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast today. I'm just joined by one guest. It is Johnny. Johnny, how are you doing? Welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, um, it's... Uh, do you know what? It, it, because of the nature of football at the moment, it feels like it's just a responsible thing to just talk to someone at regular intervals just to make sure that everyone's okay. Because uh, we're being put through the mill at the moment, aren't we? So um, it's just nice to check in with another, well, lot I'd say long-suffering fan in the current climate and, um, yeah, kind of chew the fat and hopefully come out feeling positive. Yeah, you need, you need these little therapy less, uh, these little therapy sessions because uh, you don't get the, the water cooler at the office anymore. There's no <laughs> pubs to drink at at the moment. It's, uh, it's difficult and Twitter isn't exactly the place to get um, any sort of... Um, positivity at the moment no it's no or reason, ju- reason judgment for that matter um but this is my pub right now pete i we were just talking before we started recording that i'm drinking a can of hell's lager i mean I, i'm sure i'm getting paid for that but they basically give me free beers for three months so because they not got the stadium open so they need somewhere for their beers to go they need to me. get their inventory out yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I've, I've been having, um, I keep on having these conversations. I, I work in America and it's very different to London in a lot of ways. But everyone that I speak to in America, I'm like, oh, have you, have, have you been picking up the drinking? Has your drinking got worse? They're like, no, I, I actually just decided that I don't need to drink when I'm not <laughs> around people. And you're like, I can't find anybody that's like got a, an uptick in wine or beer. I feel like everyone in London and uh, especially Arsenal fans, the drinking is like through the roof, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, if most of us are hooked up to IV drips, just put, 
It's not, we haven't got time to actually consume it the normal way of drinking it orally. Just stick it straight into our veins, quite yes. right, sedate us. Inject you know? it right in. <laughs> so we're all about saving time. Yes. So I, I've been. Um, I think that there was an there was a beer ad a few years ago where there was a line and it was like four guys and they looked over the hill and it's like it's brightening up. And um, I think it was a it's probably like a, a Carling advert or something. But I've been saying every every game day that this is the turning point. This is where positivity is going to land and we're going to put a little 10 game run in and it hasn't happened. Um, and once again, we're at the day after a game, we didn't get the three points. There's loads of disappointing things that happened around it. So like, I wanted to get your, your top thoughts, Johnny, like Southampton, like there's the positive gang and there's the, this is completely shit. Get rid of him gang. Like where, where did you stand after watching, um, watching that game last night? Um, well, in terms of like the kind of broad scheme of things, um, it hasn't changed wildly from you know where I was after the Burnley game, and that was that I think we need to get a new manager in. And 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 the fact is, is that it's not a complete indictment on Arteta and his potential career, but it's more an acknowledgement that listen, you may even end up salvaging a, a, a career at the highest level as a coach. You might, that may you know go on to happen. But right now, the, the team is on fire and we have to put it out. We can't be waiting for next year's harvest. Like, this is very, very, it's a very serious situation. And when Burnley are turning up at your gaff and taking three points, and you're talking about six-pointer kind of styles, that, that is unacceptable for Arsenal. And, and we shouldn't accept, accept it from a club standpoint. So... Then heading into um, the Southampton game, for me, I guess the the horse had bolted a little bit because I feel like I've seen enough with Arteta now to know that regardless of you know his upside, and that can be long debated anyway, that this is an emergency and he doesn't look like he has the answers to uh, deal with that emergency. But what I would say is going into that Southampton game, I didn't feel like, you know, I didn't think of us as favourites. I thought they were more likely to win. My main thing was, can we score a goal? Sounds obscene, but it's very real these days. And I was very, there were some shoots of positivity, namely the fact that our goal showed the potential of the team and how we could play. Um, And it wasn't whipping random balls into the box or whatever. It was much more about that quick movement um, high tempo passing and breaking the lines that way and then Aubameyang looking clinical all of a sudden. Um, so that is a, a bit of positivity that certainly came out of the game, I thought. But in general, I don't think it went, you know, kind of far enough to ask or any ling- answer any lingering questions there are about Arteta. Yeah, it's um, it's looking pretty horrendous at the moment, there's no doubt. I think the... I spoke to uh, Janan on the last podcast, and you know, I think we're all of the all of the idea that Mikel Arteta would not be in his job were this any other football club, um, were this any normal sort of season. Um, the the worst start in living memory for most of us. But if I think Edu and Vinay spent the week saying we're not going to change this, so I'm guessing that the assumption um, the assumption there is that. The club is like, let's get rid of the players that have let down three coaches previously and let's see what happens 
out the back end. And if you look at, like, I, I wrote a post today and everyone's furious about it because I was like, surviving December is the brief, which is really fucking miserable. But we are, I don't think you can change a coach in this moment and get an uptick in results. I think it would be really difficult because there is no time for coaching at the moment. And I am trying to look at these games through a positive lens. The positive lens is twice we came out from the second half and we started playing well. Twice we've been let down by uh, like player idiocy. I don't know whether you can like truly solve for. I don't know how you, how you get out of that. Um, and we didn't lose a game. But when you sort of speak out with somebody and you look someone in the eye, like I'm looking at you right now, you're like, that really is a, that really is a fucking depressing way to look at things that we managed to survive a game. It's, it's a low bar there, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of retorts on the things that you kind of said there. Um, like, I mean, so in terms of whether or not Ed and Ben I have any plans on changing, they, they don't. Ultimately, they don't have a plan after Arteta, which is glaringly obvious. The problem is, is he he's never going to get sacked based off Edu and Vinay going. Oh, we've had a we've got our plan B that we can now enact. Wicked, let's go for it. That's not going to happen. He's going to get sacked when it is unavoidable that we are in a, a really really grim situation and Arteta shows himself to not be able to get ourselves out of it with the same old ideas and no new solutions. So one of the one of the things I would say in terms of um, you know, we've been let down uh, by the player idiocy, which, you know, that, that's a patent fact. But the issue is, is after how many incidences of this um, do we have to start saying, well, actually, this is a, a problem with squad discipline. And that, unfortunately, lays at the feet of Arteta. Like, you know, I, I know um, all of the red cards in recent times have been different, but ultimately... You're getting a player sent off every game. It's it's absolutely unacceptable. And, you know, maybe it's not been hammered home enough, hard enough to players like Gabriel and stuff, but we cannot keep losing a man a game, at least. You know, it could have been two in the game Jacker got sent off because of El Nenny swinging out of his hand as well. Um, so I think it's kind of just highlighted a newer issue, which was already there, but is now becoming a fit, an unavoidable thing about uh, ill-discipline. Um, in terms of us <clears throat> not losing a game, yeah, obviously it's a perk that we've kind of not lost a game. But when you're playing against a team like Southampton, who don't get me wrong, have been very, very good this year, when they're coming into our gaff and having their way with us largely, and we're kind of having to hit them on the break and, you know, essentially nick a goal, um, that's not good enough. <laughs> and I know that the confidence is low, but... It's also like, well, we need to try to start turning the corner. Um, and I think that ultimately... Uh, oh, sorry, that was the other thing you were, gonna, you were saying as well. Could a new manager come in and improve results? Well, what about a new manager bounce? Like, you know, that is really a thing. It's not guaranteed. We don't know how long it'll go on for. But sometimes just a fresh voice, especially with a squad as disaffected as ours, it would seem, with all the leaks they would just hear a new voice and start playing better and they're, you know, trying to kind of earn places in the team and contracts the way they did for Arteta when he came in. I don't think it's hard to improve on what we're seeing at the moment. That's the main thing. 
So, you know, Allardyce has gone now, unfortunately. You know, all, all these managers are going. We've got to make our moves soon, otherwise Tony Pulis will be gone next. <laughs> you know, the, the um, you're, you're talking about the red cards. And um, I don't know whether this is just a new thing for me, but you know, I seem to remember back in the day when Arsene Wenger got red cards. They were like good red cards. You know, like going at Neil Ruddock or, you know, yeah. scything down Roy Keane. Like red cards you could get behind. I can't get behind that Gabriel red card. Being mugged off by Theo Walcott is just like, this is a guy that was asked a question when he was 18. They were like, what do you like to do in your spare time? And he said in the Arsenal program, he liked to sit in the front row of the cinema to make his eyes go funny. And I was like, what sort of a a man are you? What sort of a man are you? A guy like that should not be shithousing you into getting a red card. And even just the basics, like I, I, I just went back, you know, like Theo Walker at the halfway line. I still have, when I see one of our players do it, I'm like, he's going to run, he's going to beat everybody, he's going to be 30 yards ahead and he's going to put it over the bar. That's Theo Walcott. That was, that was him at Arsenal. I know he scored 100 goals, but I think that anybody looking at those stats who wasn't there doesn't truly understand what Theo Walcott is. So for, for Gabriel to, uh, you know, he was responsible for um, the first goal, um, you know, like hugely culpable for that red card. I think it's unforgivable. But just like the, there's a lot of dimness in this Arteta setup. You know, he was sold as an innovator. He was sold as the, you know, I sold him. It was because he was sold to me as the guy. He's bringing Pep Guardiola IP. And even just the basics, um, uh, the, there's a, a, a guy from Bet, uh, Betway, uh, Alan Alga on Twitter. He gets some great stuff. And he put a video up the other day of, Arsenal starting games uh, from kickoff and, you know, just us booting it to nowhere or the Man City game where, um, was it Man City or was it Spurs where Lacazette lost the ball within five minutes? And it's just, you wanted more intelligence in the side and it just doesn't, I don't see it anywhere. I don't see those little bits where you're like, oh, that's, that's cunning. That's interesting. And I don't know what happened because I felt like in the first six months, you were like, oh, this is innovative. This is exciting. This feels like we understand the opposition. But it all went. 100%. Like, like, I, the thing is, Pete, I mean, I, I'll, sorry to jump in there. I, um, you know, I would almost pose these questions to you as mm-hmm. someone who was a um, champion of Arte. And I, I was listening to your pod in those days and um, reading your blog, and you were very much behind him. Um, and you were, like you say, sold on the fact that he was going to be a new wave coach and yep. have the ability to have a high ceiling and take us on to those, you know, uh, new heights. Now, early days, I'm sure you were feeling very confident in that pick when we go on to scramble our way to a cup. But at this stage, like, do you do you just feel like he's had a bit of a wobble or are you ultimately feeling like you've been missold a dud here and ultimately he's no longer showing you the attributes that you went on to sell him to with other people in terms of yeah. innovation etc yeah it's um it's weird feeling it's in the in the weird it's weird feeling responsible <laughs> for something <laughs> that wasn't really my decision it was just selling um i do i i i feel like i feel really really disappointed in in what i've seen and I, he's a good coach. He's, he is like, he is one of the best young coaches in the world on the training pitch. 
And we saw that in the first half, right? He got to grips with Arsenal's defensive problems pretty quick. Um, he made a solid, he made an off-the-ball movement great. Um, he was motivating the players. And I think that the shift that he canvassed for to go from coach to manager has caused him no, like, just so many problems. Because I don't think, um, I think he made rookie mistakes. And you, like I think in top-level sport, when you make little small mistakes over and over, they snowball and snowball. But he didn't just make small mistakes. He made cataclysmic mistakes. Um, giving a new deal to David Luiz, being in the room on the Cedric Suarez deal and the Pablo Mari thing, um, not William. with the Willian deal on on every level. I mean, like I, I said it on the on the last podcast. Just imagine sitting in a room and saying, "Willian earns 120 grand a week. He's 32 years old. What do we know about 32 year old wingers?" They deteriorate really quickly. What does he want at Chelsea? What's, he's being offered a two-year deal, what, 120 grand a week. So why don't we offer him a three-year deal and 250 grand a week? Like 10% rate, pay rise, maybe, but like doubling the salary. And then the, the fact that Arteta's taste in players is so shockingly bad that his solution to Arsenal's creativity was a 32-year-old that most Chelsea fans could say yeah, he's a bit of a duffer. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the I, I think the the main problem is that he was given the role of manager and no one controlled him. Um, when you're a manager, you're obviously looking after more things than you should instead of focusing on the coaching. And I think we've gone off the boil on the coaching front. And I, I would guess that he would say he doesn't get enough time to coach because of the fixture list pile up, and because he doesn't get enough time to coach, he can't improve the young players. And now we're in a confidence rut. He doesn't have enough time to pull people out. And it's of his own doing. And he can get out of this. There's one chance, right? He's, I think the, uh, like he won an FA Cup. He's got the, you know, some good grace there. He's going to have to get himself out of this because I think, it, like, and he will, I think. You know, it can't get much worse, I hope. But then there is no room for error for the rest of his Arsenal career because I don't think the fans will tolerate it. And it has to be good decisions. There has to be a pivot. There has to be, you have to show the fans something in the football that's going to lead us to believe. Because I don't think we've seen any football this year that you're like, that's the thing. So, so a bit of pushback on a few of those points. I mean, first of all, you know, so the, I listened to the last podcast and that you did um, uh, with Matt. Um, and, you know, uh, one of the things I kind of feel like I'm unsure of is there seems to be this given um, in in the conversation then that Arter is a good coach. And now I, I'm not saying he's not, but right now, if you look at his history of being at Arsenal, there's as much bad as there is good, you know, and, and all the bad is recently. Now, it's not to say he has no talent or anything like that. It's clearly shown he has, but, you know, we can't, look in isolation at that cup run and some of those good results unless you're also looking at the context of recent results he's responsible for them as much as he is for the um cup win so ultimately are we sure that he is a top coach because he's got some talent in some ways but in other ways maybe you know if you're that flimsy on certain ideas that we could go from playing like that as in well 
last towards the end of last year to where we are now, maybe he's not as developed and polished as anyone actually thinks. And 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 to further that point as well, like I thought Matt made a brilliant point on on the podcast last time because he brought up a name that I think um, really resonates around this situation, particularly if you're looking at it in a more uh, kind of negative a negative lens, and that's Andre Villas Boas because. He started his career in sensational form as well, winning league titles, extremely high hot property, came to Chelsea young, hadn't had much experience, but everyone was talking about him as a prodigy. He goes out at Chelsea, doesn't have an appalling season straight away, doesn't implode straight away, but it's not long before the wheels start coming off. And he just was not built to deal with the crisis that was happening. Ultimately, he had a go at Tottenham as well. And by that point, his career was facing the wrong way and he's never really got it back. And so I think, you know, you don't have to be saying that Arteta is shit or shocking as a manager full stop to say that you need want him replaced. There is that middle ground of he might be a Villas Boas and if he is, then we should really start moving on and planning our next step. Do you, do, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think the I think the Villas Boas uh, stuff is probably the, the closest to reality probably because i think was david david luis was probably there at the same time as well right <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe even william um, I, I think so yeah villas boas um i think he went in i think he ripped up uh he ripped up the, the rule book i think he got rid of a lot of um staff that have been at the club for a long time i think he butted heads with senior players tried to build ivory towers there and then it all fell to pieces. And actually, when you look at what Arteta's trying to do, I don't think he's ripped down Arsenal, but he has tried to build ivory towers to a certain degree, right? But like the cheek of asking for a promotion to manager, for me, like you should just be told to get the fuck out. Like go go away and come back in when you've got a Premier League title before we'll have that sort of conversation, my friend. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that correlation. I think that correlation is correct. I think the the difference is that Villas Boas had a good squad of players to work with, where he had everything there to to. And if he failed, it was clearly on him. I think the, the you know he's made some rookie mistakes. He's put trust in senior players that he shouldn't have. And I think the biggest um, the biggest mistake of the summer really is that creativity is so lacking in the squad, and he doesn't have. He doesn't have any of the core elements that any manager is going to be able to work with right away. You know, there are um, there aren't really leaders in the squad at the moment. There aren't tens. There aren't dynamic number eights. Um, and our forwards. And we, I sort of wrote about this in the summer. I love Aubameyang, right? And we all loved him in the summer after we won the FA Cup. But he's not a complete striker. You know, like uh, like imagine Robin van Persie. In, in at this club, imagine uh, Adebayor, that power and that ability to do things and create magic. Like Aubameyang is, um, he's quite one-dimensional, and he's your he's he's your best player. So I think the difference between Villas Boas and Arteta is uh, players. I don't think, but the question is, yeah, he is responsible for picking the squad, and he is responsible for the results so far. So it's like. How much more do you want to invest in just double checking that this is right or wrong, right? 
but be, you know, but that's across the board, right? How much more money are you going to give Vinay to piss up the wall? How much more trust are you going to put in Edu um, to fix things? Like, how many more incorrect pieces are we going to put in this puzzle before we go? Wow, we're we're relegation fodder. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the conversation has naturally brought his name into it, but Edu's. Um, Involvement this week has been quite interesting, I thought. Um, first of all, coming out, making a statement, somewhat endorsing and supporting Arteta, um, which, to be honest, is just par for the course in terms of, you know, senior management when a manager's in trouble. to come out largely known as the kiss of death in, a, you know, a footballing circles. But he was due to make a comment. The thing that got me, though, is um, during the Southampton game, to be seen visually, to be having a meltdown at what happens on the pitch. That was a key moment for me in terms of, I think, you know, we have to give um, people credit uh, of having enough wearable to know how that is going to be construed. When you are a manager's boss, you've just come out and said, he's safe, we're going to work with him. And then you're outwardly kicking off in the stands uh, you know, it's not like he's on the pitch losing his head. You're in the stand, keep your composure, unless you want to show the fans that you are equally as frustrated with them, but also draw a little bit of a line, I believe you could say, that in between him and Arteta in terms of saying, I'm frustrated with how you're getting this job done right now because this is unacceptable. Because I think that when crises like this happen, people go into um, self-preservation mode. And I think Edu may have a, an inkling as to the fact that someone's going to have to go soon. And if it ain't Arteta, it's going to have to be him. Yeah, the, um, the self-preservation uh, point that you made there is has been Arsenal executives for about 10 years. And the, it was quite interesting after the... I think it was Sammy Mockbell did the Daily Mail article with the interview with Edu. And it was quite interesting how many Arsenal fans were like, this This reads worse for Edu than it does for Arteta. Uh, it, was a, it was a shocking interview, but I don't think he, um, I don't think he's that sharp. Um, and I don't, I think the question, you also raised the point, Arteta's boss, is he? I don't, I don't think he is. I don't, I don't, th- I, I don't, th- I think they're on the same level. Which makes it all the more confusing. You know, we went from dual dual CEOs to dual like football execs, which is another mad decision. But I got to say, like, if if there was going to be like Arsenal don't have a lot of money, and that's uh, and that that will probably be part of the reason driving Arteta staying at the club. Like he's on five million a year. People thinking that we're going to sign Allegri or Pochettino who want fifteen million a year. I think they're they're living in dreamland. But I, I think the biggest, the best investment that we can make is like proper football knowledge. And, you know, Ralph Ranić is out of a job at the moment. And I know that we always jump at things, but you're like, there's a guy that has built up, what, four or five football clubs. Um, there's a guy that has worked with brilliant young managers. Like he he took Hassan Huttle and made him a, a great manager. He's um, He's got Nagelsmann at the moment. Like, I don't think there's anyone better in world football that could solve the shit tip of Arsenal than him and create a conveyor belt of, of players coming through. But is it too simplistic? I have to say that I am on board with that um, 
you know, that shout. Um, and I, I think that um, he would be a great solution to the situation we currently find ourselves in because one of the biggest issues that we as a club are facing is this lack of vision. It's not... I mean, another big one is a lack of culpability um, from at various levels of the club. But ultimately, I think you said it on the last pod, actually, which is a smart point. So well done there. Um, about without a vision, you can't judge, uh, you know, your barometer against it. Like without the kind of checklist of what we're trying to do, it's hard to judge failure and success. So that was a good point for you, and it nearly makes up towards the bad Arteta shout you made months ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I do. Um, I mean, the other crazy thing about the Premier League season is it feels like everybody's a bit shit, regardless, right? Um, you know, Chelsea are, are losing games. Um, I, you know, Spurs are having a lot of luck so far this season. I don't expect that um, to last, and it's like. If if we could get a couple of wins under our belt and we could go on a five-game run, we wouldn't be a million miles out. But I feel like I, I, like after watching the Southampton game, it's not one win and we're back. It's one win, a loss, a win. Like I think that we're at that point where we're so bad that it's going to take 10, 15 games just to get confidence back to normality. Uh, which means the season's well and truly, uh, you know, written off. And I wanted to like go back to one of your points earlier about like um, mentioned about like you know we're doing the same things over and over again. Like I think that part of the reason that things have gone to shit this season is the same reason that it went to shit for Unai Emery. Remember when he just succumbed to fan rage and put Ramsey and Özil back in the team and then lost all authority in the squad. Do you not think that things have started to go wrong since we lost those three games from, you know, Leicester, Villa and, you know, whatever it was, like City or Liverpool. And he's tried to, like, move his process, make, make, it, make it a bit quicker and tried to play more attacking football. It's kind of like everything has collapsed since he gave up on that. He had quite a specific vision before for what the football was going to be. And now he's just fumbling in the dark and he doesn't know what it is. Do you think that part of the rookie move is that he listens to the fans? Um, I, I mean, it's interesting that you frame it like that, like listen to the fans. And I, I get the point you're making in the way that Emery did, but I think it's also a bit of Arteta's arrogance. This is, uh, you know, for the same reasons as a man is knocking on the door after six months saying, make me manager, I'll, I'll prove myself. He's saying, and, and he's telling Willian come on, sign to the club, mate. We're going to win the Champions League in three years. Yeah, are you having a laugh? Like, how bad does that quote look now? <laughs> You've signed a dreadful player and we're a million miles off the Champions League. But, um, you know, the fact is, is that when, when you look at why he's changed it, I think it's more for the fact that he was on a, you know, the bow of a wave of confidence. He's genuinely thinking, I can do no wrong now and I'm just going to start initiating phase two, phase three rather than see this is the this is why we we have to through revisionism look back at his you know kind of successes but all of his um uh kind of history up to now at arsenal uh in terms of managerial because you look at the successes and you what what we were believing is that arteta actually understood what was wrong with the squad understood 
how to get the best out of it and understood how we were best moving forward. But now you look back at it and you realise that whilst we did have successes, how much did he actually understand of what was happening as opposed to, you know, chucking shit at a wall and seeing what stick? Like he tried stuff, he got it, got it out of us. But ultimately for him to bin that away so quickly and not return to it suggests to me that maybe it was a bit more blind luck with some of this uh, success rather than knowing it, knowing what was happening because surely he must look at how dire the situation is now and think, why don't I go back to doing what I was doing, etc. But he, he won't. So um, that ends up being a big mark against his name in terms of how kind of knowledgeable and in tune he is with what's actually happening. I think, you know, Arsenal seems like a black hole for managers sometimes, like the Bermuda Triangle. Managers come in and they just get lost. They lose themselves, they lose their spirit. And then by the end, you're dealing with a shell of a man. Same thing happened with Emery. So, you know, I'm I'm not sure he bowed to fan pressure as, a, as much as he went along with his own arrogant ideas that he could just do what he wanted when he wanted because he was a supreme talent. And now he's come unstuck. Yeah, the um, I thought the skill in the first six months was... Um, looking at a mess of a squad and making it work and making everyone feel a million dollars. But my, I thought he was brought in as a, as a young generational coach that was there for the Haylenders. He's going to bring them through, like take, take a, take a Chelsea approach, see who's good, who's bad. Tell the fans, look, this is going to be shit for a couple of years, but we're building something special. And I thought that he would get get those get the bums to the summer and say, right, guys, now it's time to fuck off. Um, yeah. Like I've I've pumped your value. Like Xhaka, you're now worth a hundred grand a week. You'll get a, you'll get a job. Mustafi could have got a deal a good deal somewhere else, but he didn't. And he um, and you are right. I, I think it's the supreme arrogance of believing that what you did over six months changes five years of character flaws. Like he believed he could coach out bad characters. I'd say more than five years, 10 years, 15 years, all Vendor's yeah. work, you know, at the start. So, and, you know, I, and I don't understand why so many coaches like Wenger put so put all his eggs in the jacker basket. And you're, you're like, Arteta's you know, fairly young, right? He's like 38, 39 years old. And just talk to Arsenal fans, talk to coaching staff and say, what's the deal with these players? Like, if we know, like, I, re- you know, I, I look at it and I'm like, how many decisions could he have made better if he just sat down with an Arsenal fan or a Chelsea fan? Sat down with a Chelsea fan, say, what's David Luiz all about? Go, I right, give yeah. you a few games, but you know within two minutes whether he's going to have a massive fuck up. It, it, don't trust him. He's mentally weak. Like the William thing, my I got some real big Chelsea fans, and they were like, "I cannot believe that you're doing this." Conte kicked him out of the team and won the league. Go, he's not worth your time. And it's like all of these mistakes that are just so glaringly obvious to fans. Because it's like we do make we do say stupid things, you know. We're like, put Joe Willock in as a ten, he'll solve it. But like, there are some fundamentals that we get right. We, we're good judges of player character. Every nobody would have bet on Jacker coming back in season two. Nobody would have signed William, given David Luiz a deal after the season they had last year. And it's like, that's when it starts to become like, 
well, part of coaching is taste, right? It's the ability to read a room. And the fact that his taste is so appalling means yeah. that can he ever be a manager, right? It, like, can he just be a coach where he, you know, he does the job with the players that he's given because he doesn't have the understanding. And it's like, he's such a smart guy as well. And that's why it's so surprising to me. Yeah, it's, you know, they're all, they're all good points. Um, but like with regards to, um, you know, some of the decisions made like, you know, Mustafi and playing Shaka, uh, and, you know, initially we're thinking, oh, well, this is to pump up, um, you know, sell on prices. See, Mustafi for me is one of, I, I can't let it go. I don't feel comfortable when he's in or around the team. I'd, and anyone who plays him, it's an instant no-no for me. If you play this guy, I have got a mark against your name because your judgment's off. He's that shit. I really cannot stand the guy. Uh, it's not personal. It's just a shocking player. And I don't know how anyone who wants Arsenal to win could justify having this guy in your team because, you know, him and Jacker, but slightly less extent, but on the same boat, they make mistakes with such alarming regularity you know, it's it's not even a surprise when this stuff happens. It's this is who they are, and if you keep picking them, then this is it. So, for me, when I see Arteta playing Mustafi, I had a big problem with it, and I'm like, I hope that's not a thing, a trend for you. But ultimately, I was kind of encouraged at the notion that he's inflating the value. He's going to move him on in the summer. When he doesn't move him on, and he in fact signs him to a contract then I have to have massive, massive question marks about the guy's judgment. And I don't think he's done anything recently to um, avert that uh, criticism, including the treatment of Saliba, which for me is really, really gets my back up. I, I, I just do not understand. Like, you know, I know, again, as fans, we can have that, you know, those kind of knee-jerk opinions, get Joe Willock in the number 10 or whatnot, but... Saliba has been signed for a fair bit of money. I've just just watching videos, watching his games. He looks like a Rolls Royce of an athlete at the very least, you know. But he does look technically good, and to have him not even in the squad is just—it's like this is a judgment thing again. And you know, it's kind of like the reverse of the you know the analogy with buckets where they've all got a hole in them, but if you put enough buckets together with holes in the, the water won't flow out because they'll kind of seal each other's holes up well this is kind of like the reverse of that because quite frankly there's there's so many holy decisions that um Arteta has made that you start putting them together it's more like a patchwork quilt of actually this is quite shit you know it's not one-off bad judgments it's actually uh, kind of a, a theme and therefore that's what's unsettling me a bit with him yeah, and I, 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 you know, I've come round to the thought on Saliba as well, just because it's um, the Europa League is so bad. Like, it's just a pointless competition. By the end of it, like, watching that Dundalk game was painful, um, watching the other day. And it's like, I, I, again, it's it's cutting off your nose to spite your face big time because it's like Meza Ozil, like, he's, it, like, reality. What do we know about him? He's got this huge social media following. And he's going to put pressure on you if you don't play him. What else do we know? We don't have a number 10. Leave him in the squad. Leave him in the squad. And I think so many people have said this. 
it it was in his interest to have a good final season so he had sell-on value really in his interest and you know what like if he's coming on for 20 30 minutes a game that's fine I think fans would accept it the Saliba thing it's like right he's not worth 30 million that's fine he might not be the best defender ever but we all watched him again for San Etienne last year we know that he's capable he looked good you know, Fafana's doing a great job at Leicester. Like, leave him in the squad. Like, don't tell me that he's not good enough to play in the Europa League. And also, what is the signal that you send to the rest of Europe? Arsenal think he's shit. So there's no way that we're going to recoup even, like, 20% of that fee now. And it's it's just these these self-inflicted uh, big man moves. Um, you know, he's it's almost like trying to um, like lay down the law, but like Mourinho used to do it, right? Didn't he? One matter benched, best player last season, but there was always a solution that worked. Wenger would make a big move, but there would always be something that was better, and you'd be like, I don't know why he's doing that. Why is he putting a right back in? Or why is he putting a defensive midfielder at right back? But he was always right. Arteta doesn't get many of those decisions right, and that's what's alarming, right? Definitely. And, um, you know, I think you touched on it a bit in the last podcast you did about the fact that um, it's kind of like little man syndrome, you know, in terms of feeling a bit insecure. And because Arteta is in his infancy in coaching, and we even, uh, you guys mentioned about the fact that some of the players in the squad were actually there when he was a player still, you know, I mean, one or two, but Still, certainly the legacy of Arteta won't, as a player won't have been far from, you know, at least half the squad there. Yeah. So I feel like he has come in um, unnecessarily aggressive in terms of trying to assert himself as the dominant voice and dominant presence within Arsenal because he felt like to really uh, assert himself as the leader, he needed to overstep himself almost because a character like Ozil played with him and was better than him and could go, well, hold up, actually, <laughs> you know what, Mikel, I'm actually better than you, mate, and why don't we do it that way? So he came in with a no-nonsense kind of approach, which I think has completely burnt, burnt him now, um, because that's just not really how you do it. Like, you mentioned Mourinho there. I think Mourinho gets given the kind of title, if you will, the, of, like, chief you know, agitator and and um, kind of strict ruler when it comes to being a manager, someone who takes no, no shit, basically, or you're gone. But actually, he has a very, very skillful way with his players in terms of being able to make it like um, he his um, authority is not questioned, but also get all, all his players on side. And I know there's been, you know a fair few um, historical bust-ups Mourinho's had over the years. But he usually, like, if you even watch that Tottenham um, All or Nothing documentary, it's quite funny watching them lose. It turns out it was nothing. Um, so, <laughs> but, uh, you know, his way with uh, the players and building them up and getting that energy, he has a very skillful way of doing it. Whereas I think Arteta, you know, possibly more in that school, that Pep's school of thought, just come in, try to be the ruthless boss. And that worked initially because I think he gave us something that we were lacking uh, under Emery, which was a, a, a vision again uh, and a direction. But now, you're, when he initially came in, his main selling point was, I'm not Unai Emery. 
Well, guess what? That's not going to wash anymore. <laughs> that, that's not good enough to keep him in the job, not being Unai. Unai's gone. He's, you know, he's having good evenings elsewhere. So now it's about Arteta and being able for him to um, show that he really is as good as people thought he was. And right now he's doing anything but. Yeah, and I, I, I think that being a ruthless, making ruthless decisions um, is important to the job you've got to make the right ruthless decisions that make sense. And it's like the right ruthless decision would have been to say, David Luiz, after the Manchester City game, you're out. No, no contract. Fuck off. Clear, clear, you know, clear your bags. It would have been to get rid of Granite Xhaka when he had the chance in January. Like, Meza Ozil out of the squad when you're paying him 350k a week does not feel like the right ruthless decision. Saliba... It almost the Saliba thing almost feels a bit spiteful, right? And I think that when when people when people start to think a boss is cruel, yeah, spiteful doesn't reflect well. And you've also got a lot of very senior people that aren't really playing. You know, you saw um, the bench, and it was like Lacazette, David Luiz, all sitting there. You know, that's quite a powerful collective mm-hmm. of big name players um, in a squad that's quite young. So it's, um, but he should he should be able to read it. But I guess it's almost like he's this uh, he's this privileged kid that has had the perfect coaching upbringing. Where if you get rid of a three hundred and fifty k a week player, there's another one waiting there. If you don't have a right back, there's a sixty million one coming in January. These <laughs> problems are always solved with money. And I think that um, you know, like Pep Guardiola, they say could Pep Guardiola do it at Derby? Yeah. No. Probably not, right? The way because he doesn't have the right level of technical players, and it's like, could Arteta do it at Arsenal, like with that same coaching style? And and he can't, right? It's like the he doesn't have any of the ingredients now to do what he wants to do. So it's like, I don't know how he gets out of this unless we get to January, and if he does get a couple of lone players. But I'm starting to wonder, does an Isco and a fucking Buendia does that change it? Is that what do you do? You look at the squad and go, all we need is uh, Emiliano Buendia or whatever. I don't, I, I don't see that now. No, I definitely don't think we're one quick fix away. Um, a Hussim Uar or anything like that. You know, we are, you know, substantial changes away from where we need to be, and that needs to happen. But. We get into the same situation where we were before Emery went and before Wenger went eventually. And it's like, you know, you say about not changing the manager now, uh, you know, and kind of sticking with him. Well, we've got a January transfer window coming up. Now, we're not going to be splashing the cash wildly. We understand that. But if we are going to make any um, additions to the squad, and for that matter, if we're going to sell anyone and try and get some ins and outs that way. We have to work out whether we want Arteta, with his recent track record of acquisitions, being the guy controlling the purse strings. Because what we have had is a bunch of people spending our money as a club lately who are no longer at the club anymore. They've all been splashing out this cash and we're having to deal with it. And if Arteta gets sacked in three months and he's made some mad scrambles to try and sign you know, a couple of other people who might be 15 million, 20 million, it's still just putting us further into the mire financially when what we need right now is a 
demonstrable plan and strategy for how we move forward. Where we're going to be, a checklist, five years, this is what we're going to do in year one, year two, year three. And without that, and that is why when we talk about Ralph Rangnick or, or um, you know, player um, uh, professionals who fit that mould, that would be the main thing that we need right now because I don't think we're, not only are we one player away, I don't think we're one coach alone away from getting where we need to be. We've Great, got to yeah. change, you know, the, dare I say, culture of the club at a higher level, which is obviously higher, harder to do because it's, you know, harder to get those guys who essentially have power to reflect internally and try and make proper changes. But also, um, you know, when I think about a coach, because we've not got everything else sorted out, what we can do is get a coach who is seasoned and understands how football works and is resolute in what they're trying to do. And for instance, when I have brought up Ralph Hasenhurtle before as a name, I think that he fixed the kind of mould right now that would be very successful potentially for us. And and he wasn't without, you know, tough days last year at Southampton, some dreadful form. But if you look at our Southampton are playing now, very, very good stuff with a, a, a fraction of the budget that we've spent on our playing squad. I think that Ralph is also someone who would go into a, t- into a club and not shrink under the um, pressure of having to have a plan enact that plan and deal with the fallout um, from people around him in how he has enacted that plan. You know, um, inevitably when you put a few players' nose out of joint or uh, or staff for that matter. But I would rather have a coach that is more seasoned at this stage to do that than have a novice still try and hash around in the weeds trying to work out what he's even doing. Yeah, it's the track record, isn't it? And I am... I, you know, obviously canvas for a lot of managers over the years, but I did a, a piece on um, Hassan Huttle and he was at um, in- Ingolstadt and uh, before he went to the Leipzig and he was the best defensive coach in the league. His teams couldn't score goals. And then he went to work under Ranić, and then Ranić taught him how to take his defensive system and add flair and explosivity to it. And then, you know, now he's at Southampton and he's got everything in place. And it, but it's the track record, isn't it? It's the track record that he has that you can fall back on. Because what did he lose? 10 games in 17 at the start of, uh, at the, you know, the start of his first full season. So he had yeah. a diabolical start, but you knew he, there's potential to get it back. And I, but I, I still, I still keep on thinking, you know, the, the best, the best signing we could make in January. Is a, is a vision because uh, like if if you had Ralph Ranić right now and Ralph Ranić was like I trust in Arteta we're going to get it right and I'm going to sign players for him in January that are going to work for the vision of the club not for his situation right now you'd know that when the manager dropped out there would still be a squad of workable players whereas at the moment I think what we've got is we've got Arsene Wenger's short-term fixes We've got Unai Emery's short-term fixes. Now we've got Arteta's let's get to the Champions League final in three years, short-term <laughs> fixes. So it's like at some point that cycle has to break. And I, I just don't, I just cannot believe that somebody that gave Willian 250 grand a week, which is what Edu signed off on, 
I just can't believe that that he's the guy that we should be giving any money to in January. Uh, and I, I agree with all of that, to be honest. But um, for me, I think we can look at the managerial situation and if we were to... And I do think that we could interest Ralph enough to... Uh, Hassan to be interested in taking our job on... Southampton might be towards the top of the league, but he's not stupid. He knows they're not going to be there at the end of the year. They're not going to win the league or whatnot. And it's better to be a bigger club like Arsenal. Now, if we think about potentially having a Ralph Rangnick in, in um, so I'm not saying his surname properly, but whatever, um, in the future, then do you think that is more or less likely to happen if we had Hassan Hootel in the hot seat saying, you know, this is a guy you've worked with before. You're now at a bigger club. Um, he's someone who speaks highly of you and sees how you've worked in the past and that you can do it together, whether, you know, they left on good terms or not. Um, and I think that, you know, because for me, in the short term, you're talking about bringing a manager in who I think could steady the ship and has the experience and the new voice that would get us at least trending in the right direction. And then if you marry that potentially in the summer with, again, maybe a director of football who was on the same page and they both bought into the same kind of idea. Because, you know, two things. Number one, in football, sometimes it's not always about that you are able to innovate yourself. Sometimes you have to um, kind of look for great innovators and just copy their stuff or pick their stuff off. If you're a big bully, 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 you know what I mean? If, I, I don't want to sound crude here, but if there's a kid who's got all the right answers, the big bullies come in, beat him up and take his quiz answers. That's the way football works. It's worked for a while. Like, so if Southampton have been consistently getting the right decisions and the right appointments made with virtually 100% accuracy, barring maybe a Ronald Koeman throwed in there, then why wouldn't you, you know, you're talking about at least a 50% hit rate of quality, quality coaches, Southampton, they've been hiring in. So for me, I think that when you look at it, and whereas Arsenal are the opposite, <laughs> our, our appointments have gone down the pan quickly. So why shouldn't you go in and get um, a Southampton manager who's doing well and will have a pick of a number of jobs coming up? Why wouldn't we go in there now, get him interested and hopefully turn a corner? Well, I think that there are, I think there are two parts to there. Well, there are a few elements that are going that are going against doing that sort of thing right now. I think, firstly, Arsenal don't have a lot of money, and I think paying off two years of Arteta's contract would be problematic. Like that'd be ten million quid they'd have to pay him up front. Um, so I think number one, you've got the financial issue. Number two, pride. Vinay and Edu have uh, placed a really big bet on a young coach. And I think the, you know, Stan Kroenke, they're, they're long-term thinkers. I think they're probably all quite captivated by him. And then I also think the other challenge that they might have, I don't think a lot of managers move, like would be tempted to move to this particular project mid-season. I think Hassan Hartl will want to see out at least this season. I, I know that we didn't get... Um, uh, we didn't get Brendan Rogers last year. Brendan Rogers was deeply interested in the job. He would love, you know, he's quite a boy. You know, he's, a, I think he's a Shoreditch House kind of guy um, <laughs> from, what, from what I've heard. 
and he would love to be in London and he would love to be back at a, a top four club, but he didn't he didn't want to soil his reputation by leaving mid-season again. But I think if we were going to make a just steady this ship, please, dear God, steady this ship sort of higher, you know, like, I know this is, this is going to be the unsexiest thing I've ever said. Rafa Benitez is out of work. You know, he's extremely good at like structuring a defence. He's got an unbelievable record in the Premier League. He's not glamorous, but he's done it for Chelsea before. He did a great job at Newcastle. I feel like those are the sorts of people that you bring in, chuck them a million to, to see you through, like they raise their profile, and then you make a good decision in the summer. But I, I still think the best decision that we can make is put someone above Edu and Arteta, like a football CEO that can run things and reshape us. But I just I just don't trust that anybody at Arsenal has the ambition or, or the idea that, that, that that's what it needs at the moment. I feel like you've got three 40-year-old guys that are all first-timing at their jobs and we are where we are. Mm. It's a, it's a grim reality, and um, you know, looking forward to the games coming up. Um, I don't think things are going to get better. I think we could get beaten by Everton, and then the tougher games following on from that, I think, will um, inevitably all be losses. Uh, I don't want to sound too bleak, but I don't think we've turned any corner um, uh, against Southampton, and obviously now we're going to be about Gabriel um, for at least one game. Um, but you know, ultimately, what would you what would you try if you're Artessa right now? What's the what what's your how are you getting out of this mess? What would your approach be with the fans and the and the team? Like, how would you structure to get your way out of it? So I've said before. I mean, I I don't I think I'll be preaching to the choir here with regards to um, the inclusion of for me Ainsley Maitland Niles, but in midfield. Um, but the reason for that is just simply that we have to get back to having, you know, as Ainsley put it, legs in midfield. We need to become a dynamic team again. We are so slow and so stilted. Um, we progress the ball so slowly that we're very easy to defend against for those reasons. So, and part of the reason why we progress the ball so slowly is because we've got no runners. People don't really make a big enough thing about this when you're analysing football. When you're passing the ball you're only as good as the runs that are being made for you. If you're getting past the ball and everyone's standing still, then where are you going to go with the ball? The reason why we were at our best when we were at our best, the teams with Henri's and Perez's and stuff, there was so much off the ball movement that you couldn't pin us down. Um, and, you know, the dynamism comes through that, through that movement. You need energy, you need legs, you need athleticism, and you also need smart thinkers. I think there are... You know, so much so that because we are so much lacking in the athleticism department that I think you don't even need to be an amazing, you know, footballing savant to be able to add something to our team if you're a good athlete and you're willing to run around. Like, I mean, look at El Nenny, right? He's, <laughs> not, he's not a great footballer, but he makes us look far better, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just legs, you know, and especially when we've been given this Xhaka treatment for so long now, um, you know, and people wonder why you lab- we, we are the fan base labour on Xhaka. It's because we all know how significant his involvement is because his presence alone slows us down. He's a slow player and the way he plays the ball around is often slow, you know, 
uh, save for a couple of incisive passes, which will um, sometimes come from deep. But we need to um, pack that midfield with um, athletes, basically. And if that even means younger... I think Tobias goes in again. Um, Ainsley in there. Would it be Joe Willock in there or would it be... I think you've um, got to give Smith Rowe a go at this point because I don't know about you, but I I, I love Joe Willock because he runs around a lot, but he doesn't look like he's got that that final ball and he switches no. off. And I, I look at um, like Smith Rowe. I just need to know, cause it's been, we've been looking at him for two years. Is he, is he any good? But surely he'll offer more energy to that number 10 position than Lacazette. Well, it depends. it's funny that you say it, uh, that it's the num- number 10 position, because I guess it matters what formation you play. I'm still thinking of us in a kind of four, three, three kind of formation. And so Smith Rowe for me would be, in one of those kind of wing attack situations with Saka on the other one. Um, also, do we know how far away Martinelli is? Because he ultimately, there's a lot of pressure being put on a geezer who's been out for a year. But the reality is, is I think that from a talent point of view, he is in our top three players in the, in the team. That's how serious it is. He's, he's, he's electric. And I think he could have the ability of turning on our season. But what scares me is to do with the kind of our tactical approach and whether we're going to dump him in and it all throttle him rather than give him, you know, the liberty of going, look, our season's in disarray. Just come in there and impose yourself. And I think he is a leader. You can see it in the way he plays, even though he's young. I, I really like Martinelli. I, I, I would, um, I know that Emery fought it, but I would love to see Martinelli as a number nine. Right, because like Aubameyang is not uh, for that central position. But if you have someone like I, I, I really like Enketia, but he's not a he's not a heavy he's not involvement. It's not a heavy involvement kind of guy. And but he's I, not good enough, Pete. He's, he's just a lovely bloke. Just just not good enough. Not at this level. Because you should, you know, like when you first saw Sesk, you're like, oh fuck, this. I know what this guy is all about. Um, Saka, you just knew. Yeah. You knew what he was supposed to do. Um, Eddie, I'm still. I don't really know what sort of striker you want to be. It feels like you want to feed off scraps, but I think that those sort of strikers only really work lower down the the, the, the table, right? Yeah. You need to be more complete to be able to yeah. live in our world. Um, well, so your your view, like, how are we going to get through December? Do you think Arteta survives to January? What do you think? Um, he shouldn't. He shouldn't. He should. He should be sacked. Um, I am not 100% sure if we will, but it's an indictment on the club at the fact that, you know, a lot of the fans realise that he's probably not going to go and we shouldn't accept this. This form is unacceptable and decisions like this as a club sets the tone for the club. If you are going to let someone put together the worst start to a footballing season in 50 years and just carry on, go, oh, we back him, you don't look strong. You look weak. That's ultimately what it is. It's not, oh, yeah, we trust our managers. No, you've got no clue. That's what you've got. You've made bad decisions and you're doubling down on them. He should be out. Even if he goes on to have success in later, you know, further down his career, this is still the right decision to get rid of him. He doesn't deserve any more time. He's had enough. I, as I say, I'm not sure he will. But ultimately, if we continue in the current malaise that we're in, I think there'll be another three losses coming in the next four games. So, 
you know, and at that point, again, you're going to have to, you're going to have to sack him because we really will be in a relegation scrap, like straight up, you know, I don't not say we're going to go down or anything, but when you're going to start seeing our names in the rally zones at Christmas, it's going to, it's going to get really out of hand quickly. So, um, yeah, I can't spin positive, unfortunately, but I, you know, I hope that the way we move forward after next decisions is something that will bring about long lasting change for us. Yeah. I always think to, I, I think the, one of the best run clubs in Europe is Leicester city. And yeah. they, won, they won the premier league and it went to shit for Claudio Ranieri the, the next season. And they fired a premier league winning manager. And you're like, if it's good enough for Leicester, like what would, Le- what would Leicester do right now? And I, it wouldn't keep Arteta on. Roberto Di Matteo won the Champions League. He was yeah. gone by Christmas. Like, you know, an FA Cup, not being funny. Great. We all had a laugh. Tottenham didn't win anything. But we win FA Cups. That's what Arsenal do. No one's won more. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was a good achievement, but it don't buy you a dead season, mate. Like, and no. you, don't run us, you don't run us into the rally zone. And if you do, you're out. Those are our rules as a club. Having rules like that is what make you a big club. <laughs> not being funny, it's yeah. true. It's not accepting mediocrity, not in a knee-jerk way, but if you give us our worst start to season in 50 years, you're gone. Those are red lines, and we should act like a big club, get rid and move forward. And maybe as they replaced Di Matteo with Benitez, maybe we do get Benitez in for oh, okay. a, a little stopgap. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel so disgusting that I said that. I feel I, I'm, I'm going to edit it out. I'm going to get it out. I, I can't. I can't go with that. I think that. So my my prediction, not prediction, but here's here's what I think has to happen. He the the rest of December has to be big wins. You have to beat Everton. You have to beat Chelsea. You have to climb that table. And you have to get that team on a run. Because if if he doesn't, I don't see I don't see how adding two players to the mixer. And let's be honest, they're not going to be, it's not going to be Isco, right? It's not going to be one of the top guys. It's going to be Buendia or something, Buendia. And I, I just, I, I think that we are like clutching at straws that creative players opens up this squad. We are shit. And yeah. um, I, 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 unless he turns it around quickly. And I, I will take positives from Burnley. I will take a few positives from Southampton. I think we started to play some nice bits of football. And the hope is that, we're just going to shank shank one in uh, and that will set the ball rolling. But uh, I'm not confident. Like my uh, Arteta support is on life support <laughs> right now. Uh, I've got the Camden Hells, like IV'd in, just praying for a better day. <laughs> right. Well, that was fun. Um, that that felt like, that felt therapeutic. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and giving um, your time to the Arsenal Opinion, uh, Johnny. It's, uh, there was lo- lots of people messaging me after saying they really enjoyed having you on last time. Um, let's do another one soon. Fingers crossed for the weekend. Do you want to tell um, the, the the listeners where they can find you? Yeah, um, you can get me on my socials at ijohnnycochrane. Um, that's I-J-O-H-N-N-Y-C-O-C-H-R-A-N-E. And I did flag up last time on this pod, but I'll do it again. Why not? I do a fatherhood podcast as well called the How's Your Father podcast. Uh, you can find that where you get all your podcasts. And it's kind of general chats around issues relating to fatherhood um, with different kind of celeb guests on Russell Kane, DJ Spoonie and the like. Uh, we're on the first season. So, yeah, if you've 
interested in fatherhood in any way, maybe even you've got a dad, do check it out. <laughs> and you've got a you've got a podcast coming out. Sounded like a good one coming up soon. Oh yeah, um, I am on the next season of Russell Kane's Evil Genius. Um, so yeah, just recorded that today, and that'll be out in January. So keep your ears peeled for that one as well. Exciting! Looking forward to listening to both of those. Um, thanks again, Johnny. Really appreciate it. Hope you come back soon. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, make sure you share it with everybody. Five star rate it, and we'll see you soon. Ciao for now. Streaming the world's biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56 and the 2022 Winter Olympics. Peacock Original Bel Air from executive producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios. Damn! Plus tons of new movies every week, including Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. In theaters and streaming only on Peacock, Valentine's Day. With all this and so much more to love, sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.